Well, we have uh, concluded last week our sermon series, if you will, in sessions in the Gospel of John. And it was a wonderful journey as we took it from one verse to the next, remaining within the context and truly allowing our thoughts to understand the author's intent for our lives, done so by understanding who Jesus truly was as a man, and also as God on earth. And we recognize his interaction with individuals, from the religious leaders of the socio-political policies of the Sanhedrin, and the Jewish way of life, to the Roman governing oppression and empire, to his interaction with independent individuals accountable to his teaching. And we saw the man named Jesus be a man of compassion who truly loved, truly loved us. And we also saw him as a man of great courage who stood strong and delivered a message of change for a culture enamored in ordinance. And we saw, of course, the fulfillment of his ministry. And we saw, sadly, the majority reject him. Yet, with hope for humanity, we saw some believe in him and follow him. And we will see this day in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1 and 2, we will see the fulfillment and the delivered opportunity to mankind, which was given from the fulfillment, the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ, made forth the moment in which legal citizenry to his kingdom was now accessible for all who would qualify. And it is an interesting session, for it is revealed by the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, and it is so well organized when we allow our humble thoughts guided by the information we can read and know and have tangible foundation. Now, in the Gospel of John that we went through, it's interesting to point out a few locations to bring our thoughts back into the context and the theme of salvation for mankind and the uniqueness of his kingdom, his church, and the uniqueness of the plan of salvation which leads one to be added to his church, the reception of forgiveness. In John chapter 1, at the very beginning, and you can just pay attention, or you can follow along, it is completely up to you, but in John chapter 1, we remember in verses 
12 and 13, or verses 11, 12 and 13, John was saying of the Messiah that he had come down to his own, meaning to his own culture, his own people, verse 11, chapter 1, John, and those who were with, oh, who, who were his own did not receive him. Most of them, anyways, his own people, his own culture, his own family, the Jews, most rejected him. They should have embraced him. They were the people who had the law, and the law prophesied of the coming Messiah. They should have warmly received him, but they neglected him, they rejected him, and sadly delivered him to the hands of godless men to be murdered. Verse 12, but as many as received him, for those who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become. Those who received him had the right to become. They qualified. To become children of God, even to those who believe in His authority, His name. Of course, those who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. Not of the will of the flesh, not of blood. It wasn't procreation. This birth was not out of procreation. It was not out of the will of a man and a woman coming together to procreate, to have a child. That was not this birth that these who qualified went through. And then we see in chapter 3 of the same gospel, verse 3 of chapter 3 saying, Truly, truly, the Christ here speaking, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In chapter 1 we just read how this birth was not a birth made out of blood or out of procreation or the will of the flesh of mankind. This was something very spiritual, something very profound and powerful. And it was a necessity that mankind, those who qualify, those who receive and believe in Jesus would qualify to become Children of God, they needed to participate in this birth. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born out of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? In Matthew chapter 4, the first recorded words of the Messiah were, Repent! For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Christ was going to be crowned king of the kingdom, his kingdom, and he was going to give the keys, the conditions to his apostles so that his apostles could speak the conditions to the people and the people would know how to qualify as receivers and believers. And we see this pattern, this inspired God-breathed pattern and system of order and love and compassion and grace and mercy throughout the gospel, the humanity of the Christ. And in chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, we were able to understand the coming comforter, the coming helper, the Holy Spirit which was to be delivered, miraculously poured out upon the twelve chosen vessels, the twelve apostles. 
And we saw that information and how important it was that Christ did go away so that they could become the recipient of the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit upon the fulfillment of the gospel so that they could know how to qualify and how to be born again, how to be added to the church, a spiritual location, a kingdom in which could never be destroyed by the hands of men. So saith the prophesied prophets. And so all of this information to its completion results in what we can now read in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And though we will not be able to go from one verse to the next, we will be capable of understanding the information nonetheless. And I certainly do encourage all of you to take that time and to read one verse after the next. And you'll see how it's so well woven together when it is rightly handled. And the scriptures certainly do command us to rightly handle the Bible. For so many out there wrongly handle the Bible. So in chapter 1 of Acts, if we are all there, we, can, we, we begin in verse 1. It says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles who he had chosen. Remember, John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, specifically telling the twelve apostles, you will be the recipient of the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. This was a miraculous endowment. This was something supernatural. And so he is bringing to their memory this very moment in which will be of the kingdom, of course. Look at verse 3, to, to these, who? Well, the apostles. He also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. That means evidence that you can utilize in an honorable court of law, proving the fact that the Christ is who he says he is. And this took place appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning what now? The kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born out of water and the Spirit, the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Christ himself, speaking to the people of the first century, recorded in the Gospel of Mark, said to them, Some of you will still be alive to see this kingdom and its doors open. This took place in the first century, contrary to a great misguided people in today's era. Verse 4, Gathering them together, he commanded them, these apostles, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Now we remember, once again, John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, what has he promised? Which he said, of course, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water... But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Who is he speaking to? We must respect the grammar, for the grammar reveals the context. This is the form of communication God chose to deliver to the people. He is speaking to the apostles. The apostles, the twelve apostles, were going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They were going to become the recipients of the Holy Spirit, for it would be the Holy Spirit governing their thoughts to deliver the message. 
an inspired message. They would be speaking the words of God as spiritual men. And it's interesting how this is the fulfillment, of course, in Matthew chapter uh, 3, when John was telling in chapter 3, verse 11, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the fire was reserved for the religious leaders, meaning eternal, eternal punishment. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was reserved for the twelve apostles. And that would be the deliverance of the message necessary to know what we need to do in order to be saved, to be added to his kingdom. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's not speaking to you and I, he's speaking to the apostles. We have the recorded account and witnessed account right here. And he says in verse 6, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or epics with the which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you... Verse 8, you apostles will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Who? The apostles. And of course the information continues. And there is mention of Judas Iscariot. And there is also an uh, account recorded of an apostle being put to the, well, an, a, a brother being put to the task of apostleship because of Judas having, having to be replaced. That, that takes place. I encourage you to read all of that in chapter 1. But in chapter 1, verse 26, we, we begin here again here. It's important. And they, the apostles, drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. You see, there, there was only eleven apostles at this time. Judas had gone his own way, the evil way, the way of a betrayer, and he was no longer an active office of apostleship. He was gone. So now they are going to replace. They're going to replace that, and replace him, and they do with Matthias. And it's important we understand the information and how it's read here grammatically. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Now look at verse 1, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, which is Sunday, had come, they, who are they? Look at the nearest antecedent, the apostles. They, the apostles, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise. Verse 2, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 8, and you will receive power from the Holy Spirit upon you. Chapter 2, verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on the on each one of them. That's power. That's the power from on high. That's what's been promised by Jesus in chapter four, John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. 
Now look at verse 4 here of chapter 2, book of Acts. And they, who are they? The apostles. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them, who were them? The apostles. Utterance. What does this mean? Bit of a short excursion to your thoughts. Speaking in tongues meant they spoke in a true, real language. A known language. It wasn't gibberish. It wasn't some kind of incoherent mumbo-jumbo or mumbling. It was a true, authentic, genuine language. And the information continues, of course, and they are capable of standing up among the people and proclaiming the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ in the languages of the people. Now that is miraculous. That is supernatural. That is a power given to the twelve apostles. And it's interesting that it was so precise, this power from on high, that they were capable of speaking not only the different languages of the people, to which they were never educated to speak in, they were capable of speaking it within the even slang of the people. And we mention this to each other often, but it stands weight. In this location, you can find yourself in various pockets, in, a, in, in, in the vicinity of, the, of a same range, if you will. For instance, where I was born and raised in Skidook, you had Skidook, you had Shriak, you had uh, Barashwok, Grandig, KCK, uh, I could go on and on. All these little pockets of communities, okay? All of us spoke French. But all of us spoke a different slang of French from one to the other, from <clears throat> one to the other. Even a, even a ten minute drive. Even from one community to the next ten minute drive, you'll find different words in the French dialect or the French slang. Isn't that amazing? We do that. We all speak French, but we all speak a different slang of French in our different communities. The apostles were endowed by the power of the Holy Spirit in such a miraculous way that they could speak it with the slang of the people. That, to me, is fascinating. Now, of course, the people are perplexed. The people are, what's taking place here? What's going on? What's happening? See, the apostles were made privy to what was going to happen in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus had told them, you're going to be the recipient of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1 here in the book of Acts is saying, this is happening. But the people are like, what's taking place here? What's happening? These people can speak in a language we understand. Some of them, of course, ah, they're just drunk. They're getting high on something. Others were scoffing. Others were mocking. Ah, this can't be true. This can't be real. But some were paying attention like, man, what's, what's happening? And of course, the apostles stood up among them and spoke what was taking place. You want to know what's happening? The, uh, the, the prophet Joel, his prophecy is being fulfilled. It's happening. What you've been born and raised to read in the scriptures centuries ago is now taking place and being fulfilled before your eyes. And it's interesting to me that if you go to the Old Testament of the book of Joel, chapter 2, you're going to find the exact same information the apostles spoke to the people in Acts chapter 2. Fascinating stuff. And indeed, Peter here, standing among the people with the other Apostles as well spoke the truth. So he's taking a stand with the eleven and he raises his voice and he declares to them, Men of Judea and all who all live in Jerusalem, 
Let this be known to you and give heed to my words. This is chapter 2, verse 14 of the book of Acts. And now we 15, move into 15. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. For it's only the third hour of the day. And for them, that meant something. For us today in our Western culture, it'd be like, I don't care. We get drunk any hour of the day. But back then, that would have been, meant something, right? It would have been something not kosher for them to start drinking alcohol at a certain time of the day. So no, they're not drunk. For these men are not drunk. Verse 16. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2 verse 38 and following is exactly what he is going to speak here of what's taking place. And though we do not have time to go through one verse at a time, I do encourage you to do that. Or if you'd like to set up some personal studies outside of these settings, by all means reach out to me. We can do that. Verse 22 chapter 2. Men of Israel... Listen to these words. That bears mention. He's not saying, hey guys, look at what we can do. Look at all the miracles we can do. Oh, allow yourself to be captivated by the charm of the things we can do. <laughs> I know that sounds a bit humorous, but that's not what he's saying, is he? What is he saying? Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs. And all three of those, those similar, have different description to the purpose they were being performed for. We'll have to look at that another time. Just know that it speaks of supernatural things happening, pointing to something greater. If you see a sign that says a certain location 15 miles that way, you're not going to stop at the sign and be like, I've arrived! No, you're going to understand that the sign is pointing further. You need to go somewhere else. Well, what about the sign? The sign's so beautiful, the sign's so powerful. Look at what the sign did. The sign's just a sign. The sign's not going to save you. But the sign's pointing to where you need to go to be saved. God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in our midst, just as you yourselves know. That's important. You know why he spoke that way? Because they saw it. They knew it. They saw Jesus and the signs and the wonders and the miracles. They saw him perform those things, practice those things. It would be quite foolish to speak to a people who have never known Jesus these words. They'd be like, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, of course, they knew exactly whom he was talking about, just as yourselves know. Verse 23, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you, nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. In other words, you Jews gave this man, one of your own kind, a Jew, over to the hands of the Gentile and the Greek and the Roman and the heathen, the pagan, to be murdered. You did that. But God, verse 24, raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. And the information continues. 
And again, I encourage you to look at each verse in your own personal studies or reach out to me later on and we can set up these personal studies. But for the sake of time in our session, we go to verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to eat, to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, verse 32, Acts chapter 2, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, verse 33, having been exalted to the right hand of God, the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. This is what's happening. You are asking, why are these things happening? I am telling you why these things are happening. And I find it quite interesting for your notes. In verse 33, he speaks of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Isn't that fascinating? For it was not David, verse 34, who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, this is Psalm 110.1 being quoted. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You conquered death. The Father said to the Son, you conquered death. Therefore, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord, which is King, and Christ which is Messiah. This Jesus, whom you crucified. The apostles stood up among the people and delivered to them this very accurate information, evidence, scripture-based evidence. You murdered Jesus. Some scoffed, most scoffed, most ridiculed, most just didn't pay attention, most said, nah, now, but thousands, thousands, they were paying attention to the information, weren't they? They were paying attention to the information. Now, when they heard this information in verse 37 about Jesus, they were pierced to the heart, verse 37. When they heard the truth about Jesus Christ, they were pierced to the heart. They believed. Imagine, if you will, the account of... Oh man, now I'm going to forget the names. Uh, Joseph. Joseph, when his brothers had sold him off to Egyptian bondage. Do we know a little bit about that account? What was Joseph's father's name? Isaac? Was it Isaac? Mm -hmm. Joseph's father had been told by his 
children that Joseph had been eaten by wild beasts. Do we remember that account? Maybe not. It's fine if you don't. It's, we'll go through it one day, Lord willing. So here's a father and he has kids. And the kids, they're not getting along all that well because the father, he's playing the game of favorites a little bit. And so Joseph, his brothers are tired of hearing him being the favorite. And so his brothers, in other words, take him and sell him. They, they want to kill him first and foremost, but no, they don't. And then they sell him off to Egyptian bondage, to the Egyptians. And so there is Joseph. And they come back to their father, and their father's like, where's Joseph? Where's my son? Oh, he got, he got eaten by wild beasts. Look, 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 look at his clothes. It's full of blood. And so his father believes that. He believes that information. He's like, oh, I've lost my son. He was eaten by wild beasts. Well, that's a devastating, sorrowful, deep moment of pain. And he believes it for years. Because that's what he thinks firmly in his mind. Convinced, he's firmly convinced that's what happened. But many, many years pass. And Joseph becomes a very powerful leader in Egypt. And he's once again reunited with his brothers. And he tells his brothers, guess who I am? And all of that takes place in Genesis in the later chapters of Genesis. And so the brothers make it back to the father and say, hey, guess what? By the way, your son's not dead. No, I don't believe that. So then they provide evidence for it. They're like, look at the evidence. His heart was pierced. His heart was shook. All these years, he lived in pain. And now he's reunited with the son he had lost. He's just struck in pain. I'm bringing you to that thought for the purpose of how deep one must have been pierced and challenged at this information. You murdered the Son of God. You murdered the Christ in which you were born and raised to read, recite, meditate, teach, and preach about. You murdered him. They recognized the evidence being displayed to them, being revealed to them, and they were pierced, they were shook, they were challenged, they were hurt, they were... They believed, they saw, and they were like, whoa! Well, how do you operate with that information? How are you supposed to process that? Because they were so convinced in their own conscience, they were so convinced of a lie, they couldn't fathom the truth of it. They believed it at that instance. They knew it just like Joseph's father once the evidence had been given. At first, at first moment, no, that can't be true. But then the evidence is provided. Oh, wow. That is true. No, we didn't murder the Son of God. That wasn't, that wasn't the Messiah. Oh, yes, it was. Watch. They give the, the evidence is delivered. Oh, wow, he was. So when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. A strong shaking of the inner man. And they said, these people who were shook, these people who were greatly challenged and pierced, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, remember, all of these twelve apostles are miraculously endowed by the Holy Spirit. Each one of them has the keys, the conditions to speak. Than the, the qualifying necessities for one to become a legal citizen of the kingdom. And so they say to Peter and the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? 
What is it that we can do? Remember, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born out of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. The kingdom was prophesied in the Old Testament. And before it was prophesied in the Old Testament, it was birthed from the mind of God. And it was promised by the Christ. And it was purchased by His blood. And now it must be practiced by our faith. You've heard me repeat that numerous times. Why? Because it works. That's the system. That's what this book reveals. And these individuals are now put to the test of practicing faith, trust in the information, the evidence that was delivered to them. And they needed to know what they had to do. And Peter and the apostles say to them, you don't need to do anything at all. You believe in him, go home, you're saved. Right? That's what we read there. Go home. You're pierced apart. You believe you've done what you're supposed to do. You're fine. It's okay now. Well, no. No, not at all. They knew they were lost, meaning they were eternally damned. That took a lot for them to acknowledge that. Because they were firmly convinced as a Jew, having the ancestral lineage going back to Abraham, proven by the temple documents available to them, that there's no way we're lost. We are the kingdom of God. We are the Jewish nation. We're, what do you mean we're lost? You're lost. You neglected the commandments of God for your own traditions, your own ordinances, and you murdered the Messiah. And here, watch me prove it to you. He proves it. And they're pierced. They're challenged. What do we need to do in order to once again be friendly with God? To have God's forgiveness? Like what's, what's to take place with us? Remember what John said in chapter 1? Those who receive, those who believe would qualify to be born again. What does Peter say to them in verse 38? Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other... What now? Verse 40. And with many other words. What was it that Peter told the people to pay attention to? The sign or the words? The words. The words. The very words, my dear friends, you are reading. And with many other words... He solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And in verse 41, So then, those who had received, remember, received, follow, those who had received his word qualified, didn't they, of course, and were what? Baptized. And the day, or on that day, they were added about 3,000 souls. 
And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Because the apostles' teaching came from the Holy Spirit. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe in verse 43. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all of those who had believed, verse 44, were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions. And they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Just don't go sell off all your stuff for nothing. <laughs> day by day, verse 46, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, verse 47, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the church their number day by day, those who were being saved. This information is the condition, it's the key. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, one and the same, is well and alive and has been from the first century at this very moment, or recorded in reading. And so everyone who wanted to become a citizen of that kingdom, legally, who could qualify, had to receive and had to believe. What? The words. And once they received and believed in Christ, they received those words, the information was delivered on what they needed to do. That was the question. What must I do? They were told what they needed to do. They needed to change their mind, which would lead in a change of life, and be immersed. And here's where I repeat the words that mean baptism. Immersed. Plunged. Dipped. Submerged. Clothed. Buried. Why is that important? Because you need to know what they knew. The element was water, and the method was full submersion, and it was to the qualifying individuals who had the accountability to understand. Many of us were born and raised to believe that as little babies being sprinkled, somehow that was a baptism, that meant something, that, that that's how we did that. That's not true. It's just not true. Many of us are meant to believe that baptism is only an outward action of inward grace. That's not true. It is true that we cannot meritoriously earn our salvation. We cannot. There's nothing we can boast about to God and say, You better save me. I've done this or I've done that. You better save me. I'm going in that water. You better save me. Water isn't going to save you. I can't save you. You can't save me. Jesus saves you, and he does so when you call on his name as you are being immersed, clothed, buried, plunged, dipped, baptized, born out of water and the Spirit. God takes you and adds you to his church. I cannot make it say anything else. And though some who are way smarter than I am would try to have us convinced that it says something else, I cannot. We either trust in men and the things that men say, or we trust in what we can so plainly read here as per Peter's exhortation. Listen to these words. We're reading those words. 
we truly have to travel to the first century and sit where they sat and hear what they heard. They were seeing miraculous powers from on high upon these 12 men who stood up and spoke to them this message. They followed the evidence and the evidence led to the question, what are we supposed to do then? What are we supposed to do? Change and be baptized. Because it's in baptism where Jesus' tomb is found. If you want to raise with Christ, you have to go where he's at. But you know what the component is, don't you? Faith. If you don't have faith, you know what you're going to see. You're just going to see water and some poor fool getting wet. Mm -hmm. That's why they scoff at us, too. That's why they mock us, the world out there. Look at these fools. They think they're being saved by going in water. No, we're not. I never got saved by water. Were you saved by water? I was never saved by water. You're saved by Christ. Calling on His name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And being immersed. Faith. You have, you have to have faith. And my dear friends, without being born again, you cannot go to heaven. It's just an objective, absolute reality of the text. There's no way around it. There's no argument against it. I've looked at all the angles, and I know many of you have as well. This here gospel, of course, this here legal citizenry and the conditions given to the Jews in the first century were extended the same way with the same information in Acts chapter 10 for the Gentile. Who do you think we are today? The Jews or the Gentiles? Well, we're the Gentiles. And there's not a different gospel for the Jews than the, than the Gentiles. It's the same loving gospel. So to that end, in that, in that uh, conclusion, I do appreciate your kind attention. I do know this runs a bit lengthy in a sermon session, but the information is so packed with, inf with, with wonderful things to discuss. But in, 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 its, in its conclusion, if you will, we have to be born again to be legal citizens of his kingdom. And that is in baptism. Not because the water saves you. It's not because you can somehow have the power to save yourself. It's because you trust Jesus will save your soul. That's available to anyone here who would seek that forgiveness from God. And of course, just to answer the question, someone says, well, what if I sin again afterwards? Well, then you confess it and you repent. You don't need to be baptized again. You were qualified to become a child of God. And when you were born into his family, you were now a child of God. And so you are given the family name Christian. If you choose to sin or to withdraw yourself, you simply need to apply the second law of pardon, which the scriptures reveal. Confess it. Renew your mind. I've had to do that. Several times. There's always hope if we simply believe the words we read and we get rid of all the noise that's out there and all the noise and all the things that we inter we struggle with internally that we put up walls, you know, that can't be true this and that can't be true that. Your mind is capable of reading these, this book like I can. It's just, that's right there. So that information, of course, is the invitation to... Any one of you who might have questions or further uh, 
endeavors to study those kind of things. But that will bring this section to its close, and uh, we will move forward with a uh, song.